Welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal, showcasing stories from outstanding business people in Quebec by FL Montreal. Dan Delmar and Mike Newton with you. Hello, Mike. Hey, Dan. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Uh, I'm really excited for today because, as we mentioned last week on the program um, with our, our guest from Boost, Dan, I've had this thing for many years uh, styrofoam. I'm not a fan of the material. Uh, I wish it would just disappear. Styrofoam has for many years, and I know this going back to my, my days in journalism, has not been recyclable in Quebec for forever, really, for as long as I can remember. But that is actually uh, no longer the case. Our company, our profile tonight is called Polystiver. They do just that. They recycle styrofoam. And the founder is Solène Brouard, and she'll join us in a few minutes. A super innovative company, Mike, and something uh, that is really addresses a, a serious problem. Yeah, it, it's a fascinating environment. Once again, you know that 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 proof of how strong our our, our technology base and entrepreneurs are in Quebec. Uh, you know, taking an idea that, as you said, has been haunting us for a very long time, and actually finding uh, finding a way to to do something with it. And uh, more importantly, they have a longer term plan as to how to how to roll this out and have, let it have some impact other than just in our local markets. It's a very interesting company, as you'll uh, hear. Uh, they come up with a product that literally melts it away. So it's it's really interesting and uh, and uh, again proof that Quebec is ahead of the curve uh, when it comes to uh, to green tech. Um, okay, moving on. Let's do our thought leadership segment now, Mike. Uh, shall we? And I think on this uh, on this one from Inc.com, I'll probably have a few thoughts, but I'll, I'll let you go first. Why bad news in the headlines can derail more than your mood. So is this something news anxiety, as I like to call it? Is this something that's actually affecting workplaces? Most definitely, I, I, you know, and, and I think depending on the generation you sit in, there's a there's a bigger impact. I think the the Gen Zs are much more likely to show and harbor a concern around a societal issue, gun crimes, hate crimes, inflation, things that they have maybe haven't lived through before. Um, and you know, if if that is going through your brain while you're working, it's going to have an effect on on the job you're doing. It's going to have an effect on on productivity. I mean, there was actually a study that was done that shows that internalizing, you know, seemingly worsening societal conditions uh, during the workday is is affecting 42% of Gen Zs uh, and only 22 of baby boomers. Now, is that allocated to the Gen Zs having a much higher, bigger impact in, in the way they see the world uh, is that the baby boomers are hardened and, you know, life has taken its toll to a certain degree. Uh, but I think that uh, it, there is definitely a much bigger impact on the younger generations in our workforce. And by default, that has an impact on productivity. As someone who, you know, essentially as someone who, who's an observer of Canadian media and politics, you know, I, I like to track democracy, Canadian democracy on practically a week by week basis, which isn't always the healthiest thing in the world. And so I've written blogs about this, about what I call news anxiety. And um, the Inc.com article has a couple of uh, good uh, top line observations. So you mentioned purpose driven work culture, uh, challenges at work, you know, having those one on ones with your younger employees. And they, they also mentioned a digital detox, which I think is really, really important. And that's the conversation that a lot of um, employers should have casually, perhaps, with their employees. I mean, you can't start taking away people's cell phones and blocking signals and all that. That's too, that's too far. But I do think managers should have a conversation about, say, you know, notifications, for instance. Like, hey, you know, I, I took off all, the, all, all of my social media notifications from my phone. 
And I believe that I'm calmer for it. I believe I'm more focused. I'm less distracted at work. Um, little things like that. Notification anxiety is a big one and a big time waster. Most definitely. I mean, if you've got your notify on and all you're hearing is ping, 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 or it's on vibe, I mean, just the disruption of that in and of itself. Uh, as humans, and especially in, in in those of us that have a little bit of an ADHD side to our personality, is is you know it's hard to leave that alone. Uh, and you know the problem is is let's be honest, you know warm and fuzzy is not what sells in in in, in the media. It really is about uh, it's drama, it's negativity, it is the things we're living through. So the more that I am plugged into that throughout the course of the day, uh, the more it's going to have an effect. And, and and digital detox, and, you know, maybe I'll I'll just take that one step further. And digital detox, you know, doesn't necessarily mean just closing your computer and stopping to work, right? It's, it's the effect of, of all the media around us that are constantly bombarding our brain and, and telling us what's going on in the Ukraine or what's happening in the economy or what's, you know, what's happening with our friends' drama. Moving on now, Mike, from Harvard Business Review, is bad onboarding, uh, stifling your new senior leaders. Onboarding so important in terms of making sure someone is a good cultural fit for an organization. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of people uh, see onboarding as kind of like, hey, here's your welcome pack, here's the bathroom, here's your, co- here's your code for the photocopier, you know, enjoy yourself. Uh, you know, onboarding in, in today's environment is taking on a much deeper meaning. Um, unfortunately, I think onboarding during the pandemic and where we stand now in a shortage is, is now become a little more complex. I mean, onboarding is traditionally understood to be the process of orient, orienting a new employee to the existing people, the people around you, the culture, the rules, uh, how we do things, why we do things, uh, the implication that the organization uh, works in a certain way and, hey, we want you to fit in. Well, a lot of times when you hire senior managers, part of the goal of hiring a senior manager is to bring in a different thought process. It's to bring in a new perspective. Well, the moment I bring you in and I tell you this is the way we do things and this is the way you have to do things, you know, you, we can argue that you're already starting to quash that creative process of bringing somebody in. So how do you continue to find a way where we're bringing in fresh ideas um, that may in some cases clash with the old um, and and get away from just trying to fit them in because, you know, we have a week to orient, orient you. Is, is it a week? That, that's roughly the average amount of time. You know, how, how much time should you spend on that? I've seen a day to a week to a month. It depends on the organization. It depends on the complexity. You know, if I'm orienting you because uh, you're working on a machine or you're a foreman in the back, it's going to be very different than it's going to be on a front office uh, or an accounting job. So it really is a question of, uh, of the structure. And in most cases, whatever that time was prior to the pandemic is probably likely been shortened uh, because of the tight workforce. We need you up and running now, not in two months or in three months. This is also from HBR Micah. Your family business's resiliency depends on its structure. Uh, we did speak in recent years about the TV show Succession. Have you seen it, by the way? It's uh, it's quite something. I have not gotten through it. I've, I've started it, but I have not gotten through it yet. So part of the issue there... Apparently my downtime at the end of the day, I, I need to take myself out of what I do all day and, and find mm. something completely mindless. But It is. It, it would feel like work to you, I think, um, because part of, the, part of the issue there with the family is they've diluted... Uh, their uh, their holdings in the company, uh, thereby leaving room for non-family members to take things over. So let's talk about structure for a second and uh, the importance of, um, you know, if, if you are keen on, on keeping sort of a family ownership structure, what would you advise uh, over the long term, especially when outside investors come in, uh, to make sure that um, your, your family assets are secure? 
I think there's a couple of things that you have to take into consideration. And first of all is what generation am I dealing with? Am I dealing with the founding generation, which likely is one person? Uh, if I dealing with the second generation, which in many cases is siblings or cousins and, and you know close proximity, uh, so you have to take uh, take into account the life cycle of of the business. Uh, you need to take into account uh, the, the the training, the education, uh, and the passion that's involved. Uh, each generation, uh, you know, you'll hear people say, "Well, the next generation is softer than the previous." Well, if they're softer, they're different. And, and you know, and how do, how do we adjust? Most of those original founders are a tad autocratic and, and monarchistic. I mean, that's the way you got the business started. It's not going to work on a long-term basis. So you really have to look. And, and the other thing that's important is you have to look at what your business is. And your business can either fall into a uh, lifestyle business, which means that the money that is being made is being spent on a lifestyle. Okay. The other is a uh, asset build or a preservation style where I'm reinvesting the money back into the business uh, and I'm continuing uh, to build for future value and future growth. Uh, and you'll see both types, and both are very successful. There's not one is more successful than the other. Um, you know, some families have done very, very well by taking the money out of the business and investing it, buying real estate, doing different things. Uh, and that to me is more of a lifestyle choice uh, as opposed to the asset build, which is the money stays within the business. But either way, I think what you have to be looking at is what's the long-term goal. If if the goal is I'm going to build it for a generation in sell, I'm going to have a very different approach than if I want to create a legacy company within the family. Because as we know, as time goes by, we are going to need to bring, bring people in from outside of the family in most cases in order to support. So you're going to need a board of directors. You're going to need family business councils. You are going to need a council just to deal with the family, not even from a business perspective. I mean, I can go back to, you know, my 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 math and the Venn diagram where I've got, you know, I've got the business, I've got the family, and I've got ownership. Well, those three will likely have an intersection, but the rest of it may be quite large. And if you've got an intersection of all three, then fine. You've got somebody in the business who has ownership uh, and is part of the family. They're going to have a very different perspective than, say, a sibling who has ownership by birthright uh, and is not active in the business. Coming up, there are a lot of storylines about uh, our, our profile tonight. Policy Val, Solène Brouard, she's the founder, but recently stepped back to focus on uh, being the growth officer. And it's a company that's growing because they have a very popular technology that they can expand pretty much around the world. They recycle styrofoam. Uh, Solène, welcome to today's Entrepreneur. Thank you. I'm very happy to be with you today. And Mike, uh, we're talking about a business that is, I would say, overdue, Selene. I mean, we've been talking for years. We've mentioned it last week on the show with, with uh, our guest from Bustan. Uh, why hasn't this material, uh, known under the brand name Styrofoam, been uh, recyclable? T tell us about Polystyver and what you do. Thank you. Yes, indeed. So uh, Polystyver is a, an innovative company whose mission is to set up a circular economy in styrene-based plastics. And the, the reason why polystyrene, polystyrene is the technical name and styrofoam is the brand name. So the reason why polystyrene uh, was not recycled uh, or not enough recycled until now is first of all, the access to the feedstock. That's really not easy to have access to the waste of polystyrene. And when you get it, they are very dirty. I mean, they are mixed with some other plastics, with the rest of food, metal, paper, card box, and there is a bunch of uh, chemical additives. And when you recycle it, that's really a challenge to reach a, a very high quality, knowing that half of the polystyrene market is in the food grade. So that's a lot of issues. 
How does this break this down? And, and, and where did you guys come up with this idea? I mean, uh, styrofoam has been around a long time. Recycling has been around a long time. This has been a, a problem facing uh, us for a very, very long period of time. Um, what, what did you do different? How did you come up with it? <laughs> so um, what we do different is that we have developed a dissolution technology and dissolves to remove any kind of contamination. So our end product is very pure, very high quality, and this is what allows us to set a real circular economy. So I mean to, to reuse the polystyrene for the same initial application, uh, including food grade. And uh, how we came there, um, I had the idea to recycle styrofoam in 2011. Actually, uh, uh, I wanted to, um, to start my company and I thought that uh, plastic recycling uh, was a growing trend. So I, I thought that was interesting to investigate in that direction. And the next question was what to recycle. Polystyrene pop up very quickly because the polystyrene industry is very strong in Quebec. You know, we have a two producer and a bunch of um, converters. So um, definitely the, the, the polystyrene came up very quickly. And then I started to investigate the reason why it's not recycled. So I found uh, the reason I told you. And I was lucky enough to read the, the end of study memory of a student at the Polytechnique. Uh, she's Marine Adingue. And uh, she, she wrote um, the list of technology that exists to recycle polystyrene. And basically the conclusion was, well, okay, that does not work very well. <laughs> but there is something in Japan and something with dissolution. We don't know if it works. We don't know if that's profitable. So that would be good to make a feasibility study. And that was the conclusion of her, her report. And I started there. I did the feasibility study. And that was the, the beginning of Polystiver. And what is your background, Selene? I see some chemicals uh, in the background there. Certainly, there's got to be someone on your team with uh, an interest in chemistry. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm not a chemist. I have a master in business administration from the University of Sherbrooke. And um, the, the chemist in our team is Professor Cote. Uh, Professor Cote was a researcher and teacher at the University of Quebec in Trois-Rivières. Uh, he is very experienced and he was also part of some um, uh, Quebec flagship, I would say, like uh, Venmar and Seal. And uh, he retired from the university in 2017. So he's now full time with us and we are very, very lucky to have him. Kind of very interesting that you know one of the things that, uh, that that your product is doing is that it's lessening the stimulation of the oil industry. Do you want to do you want to explain that to us a little bit in terms of how that has an impact on the oil industry? Yeah, that's right. Um, I guess you you know the 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 three R from uh, Recycle Quebec, so reduce, reuse, and recycle. So first of all, we need to reduce our consumption of plastic. I, I think that it makes unanimity now. We use too much plastic. We can use much less. So that's the first thing we need to do. And um, second thing is that the one we have, we can reuse it. We don't need to throw everything to the garbage after the first use. Many times we can reuse it. So let's do it. And when you cannot reduce, when you cannot reduce, then you need to recycle. So if... Indeed, if we do all of that, we will use much less plastic and this will require much less oil. So this will generate much less uh, GHG. And that's what we want. I think we, we all need to do our part in order to, uh, to limit the global warming. And uh, that's really something that is doable for everybody every day.
this is really a full cycle, excuse the pun, a uh, full cycle product here in terms of its ability to, like you said, not only recycle, but to reduce the actual extraction because you're now going to be using your product uh, back into its its base forms. Um, I found it very interesting that uh, the, the process is, is the use of essential oils and it makes the, uh, the styrofoam dissolve like sugar in water. Um, I, I guess I, I'm trying to dumb it down for all of us that, you know, aren't sitting in the chemistry world and the science world. Uh, it, that creates quite the visual. Um, I mean, is it, is it simply that simple? <laughs> yeah, the dissolution of polystyrene is that simple, just as you say that. I saw that you did some research, so that's good. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yes, polystyrene can dissolve uh, in our essential oil uh, very quickly, and that's very simple. But the challenge then is to remove what is not dissolved and then to recover the polystyrene, I mean, to have it solid again. So that's the challenge, and that's what we patented. I mean, the purification process and the way to recover the polystyrene. So a, a simple piece of uh, clean styrofoam is actually an easy process. It's the it's the process of trying to remove, like you mentioned before, food waste and labels and everything that comes on styrofoam products that has to be separated in order for you to get back to the basic. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. Yeah. And this is not just filtration. You know, that's a, um, an advanced process that works by flocculation. And so that's the reason why it's very innovative and we were able to patent it. So Professor Cote developed that process in laboratory and then we had to scale up the technology. So this requires a lot of CapEx, you know, because you, you start in lab and then you do a pilot and obviously it will not work the first time. So you need to do it a second time and so on. Then you go to, uh, to demo scale and eventually to full scale. And only when you're at full scale and it really works, then you can commercialize it. So that's a long way, and this requires a lot of uh, capex. So, Lynn, uh, how how difficult is the process in terms of not only sort of the after process of polystyrene, the the byproduct, and what are your thoughts on packing materials? Do, do you think we should still be using styrofoam? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think we should be using styrofoam. Yeah, because that's a good product that has a lot of advantages. All the question is not to use too much and properly manage the end of life of the product. Because if you ban the polystyrene, it will just be replaced by something else like expanded polypropylene or another plastic. So it won't fix anything. Uh, if you want to really fix the issue, that's first of all to reduce our use of any kind of plastic and then to manage properly the end of life. Because today we are throwing everything to the garbage and we don't really care what's happening next. But that's the point. If we were able to, to sort properly our waste, then it would be easier to, to collect it and then to provide it to the people who recycled. Because as I told you, the first challenge is to have access to the waste. And the second challenge is that it's very dirty. So if we sort properly our waste, and they will be easier to collect and easier to sort and so easier to recycle. So uh, one more time, that's something that everybody can do every day. And just a, a small things can change everything. So Dan, moderation and management, two terms that I think are going to keep uh, Solen definitely busy over the next little while since uh, as a society, we're not so good at either one of those terms. Um, as Just before we head to break, maybe just discuss a little bit the R&D side. I mean, obviously, this is a hugely intensive uh, research and development, uh, the time and the energy. Uh, how much time uh, was put in prior to being able to make this a commercialized product? Um, <laughs> 
Um, I would say something like 10 years <laughs> because uh, we already started in lab. And then uh, before having the, the first ton, the first metric ton of recycled polystyrene that we were able to sell, uh, we, we had to find a recipe, to scale up the technology, to find all the people that was required to do so, to buy the equipment. So that was definitely um, a, a very long way. Uh, but uh, I think, yeah, we, we get the first ton of recycled polystyrene that was really good quality, um, probably nine years after the start of the company. This is a company that is, as I was mentioning, Mike, just so uh, important for Quebec right now. Uh, we went a very long time without the ability to recycle polystyrene, a.k.a. styrofoam. And that's exactly what Celine's company does. But how does this company grow in the future? I wonder, Mike, when people are solving problems, what happens after you solve the problem? Well, yeah, and, and, and I think that's the, the question here is we, we've learned that, you know, everybody needs to do their share, but each individual in isolation can only do so much. Uh, and I think taking a technology like this and and kind of blowing it out so that it can be used in multiple locations is is really where Polystiver wants to go. But I think you're looking at this uh, so then in a very interesting uh, model in terms of licensing. So maybe give our, our our listeners a little bit of an insight in terms of what the growth factor looks like going forward, and how do you not only grow the business but just grow the concept. Yeah, indeed. So we we have developed a technology to recycle styrofoam, and currently we sell recycled styrofoam. But we do this in order to to demonstrate that our technology works and that it is profitable, because uh, our growth strategy is licensing, and uh, we choose that one because we are a very uh, innovative company. So we are creating a lot of intellectual property, and I think that's what we have to sell rather than selling the plastic. You know. And uh, another advantage is that um, if we would um, buy the recycling plant by, by yourself, we would do one after the other. And uh, on the contrary, by licensing, many clients can do uh, some plant in the same time. So the deployment of the technology would be much quicker uh, through licensing. And um, this also would help uh, with the, the GSG reduction, uh, which is my ultimate goal. So. I mean, obviously, this is not something somebody can set up in their garage or their backyard. Uh, what 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 are we looking at in terms of licensing from setting up a facility? Is this a this is a major capital investment, or has the significant usage of dollars gone through the R and D component, and now it really is just setting up an ongoing uh, business model for for a licensee? Well, uh, for, in order to license this technology, you first of all need to have the feedstock. I mean, the, the company who decide to license our technology should have ways to recycle. Then concerning the investment, that's not that huge, you know, compared to some other technology in the same field or compared to a building, a polystyrene plant, that's not really expensive. I'm not telling that's affordable for everybody, but I mean that the return on investment can come pretty quickly compared to some other technology in the same field. Very interesting. And I guess moving this forward after, you know, 10 years before you could really turn in your first ton of, of, uh, uh, of product and you've had to use some key partners along the way. And, and you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to give anything out of school here. Most of these are available on the on the website. But, um, you know, the traditionals, IQs and the BDCs and Ange Quebec. But you've also had a couple of other ones that I would assume most people are not necessarily used to. So the sustainable development technology in Canada, uh, Techno Climat, 
uh, cycle capital management. Maybe give us a little bit of an insight as to what you've, you know, how you've worked together and what that looks like from a partnership perspective. Yeah, so definitely in order to grow the company, uh, you need some equity and you also need some grant and loan and you need to find the right balance between the three. So um, uh, equity is very important because it will leverage the grant and the loan. And um, you don't want too much equity because you don't want to dilute yourself too much. However, <laughs> as I said, uh, this will leverage the grant and the loan. So that's very important. So you need to choose your, your partner in equity, not, for, not only for the cash they bring, but for what else they can bring in the company. So uh, especially um, if they have a network, if they have contact. So that's something very helpful. And uh, for example, uh, with, um, uh, with Quadriam, Quadriam is uh, Saputo's family office. That was definitely a strategic partner because um, very often the cheese product or the yogurt are packaged in polystyrene. And because Saputo is kind of cheese empire, <laughs> they bring a, a lot of contact in that industry. And we have also some other partner like Cycle Capital with um, a very well-known venture cap in clean tech in Montreal and also Energy Foundry. That's another venture cap from Chicago and so on. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think a lot of people go into business with this, you know, I'll take money wherever I can get it uh, at, at the early stages as opposed to trying to find a strategic partner. Uh, and, and certainly it looks like you, you you found strategy in the way you've approached all of this. Uh, I know you use a board of directors and obviously there's, you know, some days you can say that's a strategic choice by, by, by management and other days it's a strategic choice by the investors. It's probably a combination of the two. Um, when you look at the key partners, how, how much did the board of directors play in that role and, and, and how early on was the board of directors set up? The board of directors was set up in uh, 2016 when uh, Quebec Angels invested in the company. And uh, definitely uh, the board has some priority because uh, uh, the, the venture cap want to make money with that. So uh, And they're not evergreen. So, I mean, they, they have a, a time frame in order to exit of the company. So that's something that we have to manage on top of the, the growth of the company. And uh, I did not mention uh, some very important uh, partner that we have with uh, BV. So BV is a European partner, and that's a major player in the in the polystyrene industry. They are both a producer and a converter, so um, they are very knowledgeable in that industry, and their input is very very important. However, they don't have a seat on the board, and they want to remain a silent partner because. Um, uh, Having a strategic partner is very helpful for the input. However, that can afraid the other strategic partner that could be client, for example. So uh, by keeping them silent, we were able to uh, to find a, a nice balance. Celine, um, a quick question about leadership and about uh, founders, uh, the founders dilemma. We talked to Peter Simons uh, at the beginning of, um, of our season. He's someone who stepped back from his role as CEO as well. What are your thoughts on that? And um, was it a hard decision for you to, st to step back to a new role? Uh, I would say that was not an easy decision, but I think that was uh, for the, the good, of, for the best of the company, you know, because uh, I think what I'm good at is uh, business development and fundraising. And uh, when the company grows, uh, you can not only focus on that, you need to manage some many other things like human resources. You know, currently we are hiring 
large bunch of people. We are becoming a very large team. And uh, human resources is something extremely important. You need to make sure that everybody works together and there is a good communication. And this may seem very cliche, but this is really fundamental. So um, uh, the, the CEO currently with uh, Madame Nathalie Morin, Sherry uh, takes care of making the team, the teams work together. And this allows me to, to focus on, on business development and fundraising. And I think that's the best way for the company uh, to, to move forward. Trouble finding people. I mean, uh, everybody's been complaining about staff shortages, though. We find those those uh, businesses that are in the, uh, shall we say, certainly more environmentally conscious or having a better chance trying to attract some younger workers because it fits into their personal goals and their personal objectives. How How has everything affected Paris uh, Tuar? Now we we face the manpower shortage like everybody. That's a really a challenge today. And um, we we do have some uh, young and motivated people, and that's really great. Uh, but for the moment, we are trying to attract some more experienced people uh, because we need to manage this growth. We, we have a very strong growth in this moment. We signed a couple of uh, very important contracts. So uh, in order to, um, to make it happen, you know, we, we took some commitment, but now we need to make it happen. <laughs> and, and in order to do so, we need some very experienced people. So the, the manpower shortage is really a challenge. How, how have you been uh, been going about trying to find them at this point? Is this been, uh, have other employees been good word of mouth? Is it poaching? Is it LinkedIn or a bit of everything? Oh, come on. We try everything. <laughs> we, um, we have a headhunter. Uh, we we also encourage our employee uh, to to propose some um, some candidates. Uh, we are looking on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm telling to I'm telling that to you today. Uh, hoping everybody is listening. So <laughs> we try everything to find people. Do you find that you're hiring people? And this because I'm seeing this in a lot of other places. We're hiring that we're hiring people outside of their specialty area, because and and working them into the specialty just because of the shortage of staff. And I, and I would assume, especially in the, the highly leveraged science environment in which you're working in, it's not so easy to find the exact perfect qualified person. Uh, that's right. Um, but no, for the moment, we try to uh, to hire people who really meet uh, our expectation. We have the, the, the proper degrees and the proper experience. And the thing is that if we have to pay a higher, we do, because that's very expensive um, to, to pay people, but that's even more expensive to miss the right people. So one, one, one last point, Canada has the future 50. And I know that back in June, you were named to the 50 fastest growing green companies in Canada. Um, other than, you know, a nice... Uh, plaque on the wall and a little what does that mean to Paris Tiver and and some of the things that you're working on yeah that was wonderful yeah that that was a, a wonderful recognition and uh, we we are very proud of being nominated in the clean 50 uh, because this also give us uh, great visibility and and today we're still a startup we are growing quickly but we're still a startup and uh, we are looking for visibility so that was a very helpful Céline Boal, the founder and chief growth officer of Police Vert, they recycle styrofoam, a fascinating company and a very necessary company. Thank you, Céline. Uh, we're going to stick around and you will have your one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs in a few minutes. But first, coming up, we'll have Alita Eid, senior manager at FL's uh, HR sister company, PVizio, and she's going to talk about adapting to change in the workplace and how to create a system for that. Uh, and Alita, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Dan. 
Alita, we're going to talk about adapting to change in the workplace right now. And of course, tons of change to adapt to, Mike. Uh, the biggest, as we've discussed over the last few weeks, is simply the makeup of the office. Who's going to be in person? Who's going to be staying home? Yeah, you know, and, and interestingly enough, I think, you know, we're all kind of sitting here uh, dreaming of of what happened and 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 putting it all behind us, but uh, I think you know COVID is as 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 we've said many times in the past, COVID has really acted as an accelerator, so it wasn't really bringing anything new to the forefront. Uh, so while I sit and 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 dream of what can change, uh, you know, right now where uh, we have to look at uh, the fact that we are far from reality of of being where we would like to be. And Alita, you know, where do you think we are on the change curve at this point? Very, very good question, Mike. So um, I'll briefly start by um, describing the change curve. The purpose of the, the model is to illustrate the stages of transition that people go through uh, during change. And I find it a good tool to use to remind ourselves that we all go through different emotions and reactions to change and not in the uh, same way uh or form so the stages are not linear um and they're not necessarily experienced every time a change happens you can find different models and charts online but the stages mainly revolve around shock denial frustration confusion uh experimentation and then integration so these stages they start from when the change happens and they fluctuate over time so the ideology behind using that the model in an organizational environment is typically to learn how to detect where your team is on the curve and adapt your support tools as needed to help them transition and embrace change at the end. So if we take the context of today, like Mike was mentioning, the world is changing at, at a very fast pace and we're going in different directions. Um, We've shifted because of the pandemic, but also a bit before that, and we'll continue to do so. So as a result, we're all experiencing different types of feelings on a, each one of us on a personal level. Um, and most of these feelings, I think you can recognize on, on the curve. So that said, I find it very difficult to to say where we're are, we, where we are on the curve today, because uh, I think we're really experiencing different stages and shifting back and forth uh, on that curve um, frequently. So because of this, because of the, the the shift that's happening, I think the key today is not just to help embrace the change, but to help your team develop agility and comfort with change to help them prepare for the next one. Uh, it's critical to mentor and coach them to recognize for themselves where they are on the curve and be able to help um, bring them themselves and others around them to a mind state of collaboration. Well, I feel uh, significantly relieved that you don't know where we are on the curve because I've spent the better part of two years not knowing where the hell we were on an ongoing basis mm -hmm. thanks to COVID. So uh, this is all uh, all pretty appropriate. Um, you know, if, if I look at the, sh the shifting uh, the workplace, I mean, we are now finding people in, uh, that are we're asking them to manage in areas that they don't necessarily have the skill set or have the experience in. You know, a great example is, you know, managing remote employees. So it's not the same way that they were managing before we're finding a lot of people outside of their comfort zone and skill set um you know what do you think are the critical skill sets needed at this point that you know the managers need to have in today's workplace it's 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 not the list that they came in with when they came in four years ago 
No. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it starts with, um, I would recommend increasing awareness and eagerness to navigate the unknown more frequently because um, <clears throat> we're still humans and we're scared of change. But um, uh, we've moved from a planning-based approach a very long long time ago where, where our objective as managers was, like I said earlier, detect where they are on the change, anticipate um, on, the, on the curve, sorry, anticipate the emotions and just make sure to reduce as much as possible the uncertainty around it and get them on board with the right process or the new process. But today it's impossible to do that. I think we have to opt for a more um, active approach where we're constantly dealing with uncertainty and the process in itself is, is a moving part. So it requires adaptability and agility. And this goes hand in hand with uh, developing the ability to rethink, unlearn our current methods and relearn new ones in a never ending cycle. Another one that I think is important to mention, um, I'd suggest that managers learn mental health first aid, uh, a topic and skill that has become critical today. Um, and overall, just to become more aware and proactive in identifying indicators that they see in team members who may need that extra support um, to, to better manage their current state and then guide them to the right place to find that support before it becomes worse uh, or too late. Alita Eid, Senior Manager at FL's sister company, PVizio. Thanks so much, Alita. Thank you, Dan. And as we come to the end of our show, let's ask our entrepreneur for her one piece of advice for inspiring Montreal entrepreneurs. Céline Brouille from Polysiver, what are your thoughts? My advice is to surround yourself well. It's very cliche, you know, but it's super central because uh, what makes a project work or not work are the people in that project. So uh, human resources management is really fundamental. And be, being well surrounded does not mean having friends around you. Uh, above all, it means competent and dedicated people. So it takes specialists in their field, you know, uh, finance, engineering, or whatever. And it takes people uh, who want the success of the project before their personal success. Céline Boal, thanks so much. And Mike, a company that, uh, you know, some kind, some things are just in the cards. I mean, some things just, just some problems need to be solved. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still fascinated that uh, we can get styrofoam to melt like, melt like sugar and water. So this, this whole episode for me is uh, technologically <laughs> way over my head. But, you know, you start talking about sweets, uh, you got my attention. So, no, I think this is fascinating. I think the, um, you know, once again, it goes to prove the wealth of, of Quebec-based technology and entrepreneurs and it's just it's it's just a big feather in the cap of, uh, of of Quebec and we need to make sure we continue to support and financially uh prop these companies up so that we can keep them here and not lose them to uh to various jurisdictions outside of Quebec. Mike next week we're going to be talking a bit more about the circular economy with John Salibi from Solvgald app uh, it's an app that lets you reduce food waste and spare your wallet at the grocery store. Don't forget you can subscribe to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal as a podcast on on iHeartRadio, iTunes, or your favorite platform. And you can also log on to our website, inspiringentrepreneursmtl.com, for hundreds of local entrepreneur profiles over the last 14 years. Thanks very much, Mike. See you back here next week. Thanks, Dan. This is 
production of TNKR Media. Good talk.